This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. We've talked a bit on the podcast about where the creator economy is headed this year, and there are some general trends that I do think will be important to keep in mind in the short term. But what about the long term? If you think about it, the creator economy is still relatively young. So what will it look like once the dust and hype really settles down? One CEO has some thoughts that are pretty surprising. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Dimitri Shapiro is the CEO of Koji, which is a company that makes apps for creators that power everything from monetization to audience engagement. But in a previous life, Dimitri was the chief technology officer at MySpace, a product manager at Google, and he founded an early competitor to YouTube way back in the day. So all that knowledge of where the creator economy started has given him some insight on where he thinks it's headed in the long term. The short answer... What we know is the creator economy now is dead. But I'll let him explain. There's a lot of ground to cover in this conversation. So I got a pitch from your PR rep with the subject line, the death of the creator economy. <laughs> that caught my eye. <laughs> I was like, um, what? So let's start there. I mean, from your point of view, where are we now in the creator economy? We are at an inflection point. Actually, I think at a number of inflection points that will, I believe, you know, quite radically sort of transform this thing we call the creator economy. Mm -hmm. I think the old creator economy, as we've known it, is atrophying. I mean, more people are coming in, but the capability to get value out, I think, is shrinking. When everybody else, I think this is an unpopular opinion, they think it's expanding. But again, I would argue that that's not true. I'm arguing that this thing we call the creator economy is the stepping stone to something much, much bigger. What is it? Well, we, you know, humans, more and more are communicating with each other digitally. We tend to, in some way, prefer it, mm -hmm. meaning we like communicating with each other physically, being in physical space. But then we've got to make time there, and, and we've got to drive there. But instead, we can just jump on a Zoom right now. And so the skills that are required to do that in the best way, in the most advanced way, in the most compelling way, are the same skills that are now held by these prototypal people called creators. They've honed those skills to be able to look at the camera and speak clearly and make sure to pause and articulate. All of these communication skills that most people don't know how to do, they need to learn them. These early adopters we call creators now have learned them. But now all of us need those skills. And so in a sense, everybody becomes a creator and therefore, there's no need to isolate another group of people and call them creators, unless you want to call them professional content producers. Hmm. And sure, there's always going to be a need. Well, I'll even take that back. AI may prove that to be 
Oh God. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> if you want to get into that conversation, if I can really take it to If you want to go a... full tilt dystopian, then yeah, sure. Right, I can take you to that dystopia. Like, it's yeah. going to video, video GPT soon, like where it's just dark, dark. Let's not go there. <laughs> so we'll stop. We'll stop before we get there. And so look, it's an exciting time. If you are a creator, you have an unfair advantage right now. You have a literacy, a digital literacy that the vast majority of people don't have. Another example is like, I'll give you a bunch of other examples. Canva. Canva is an amazing tool. Some people say, well, it's not as good as Photoshop. That's right, it's not supposed to be. It addresses a completely different segment. And it says, most humans that need a design would rather get it quickly and cheaply than get the best and have to spend a lot of time or money getting it. Right. And so they optimize for convenience and speed and cost. And that's why Canva is killing it. That's amazing. Makes sense. It takes less effort to create something that's good enough. Hmm. There are many tools that have empowered average people to be able to do things that only professionals used to be able to do. Obviously, video production is one. Being able to have video and edit it at home. You used to need to rent out edit bays that cost uh, half a million dollars to set up. Right. And, and you needed to rent them. Or even before that, my guidance counselor told me because I left computers in 1984, 85, 86, that I should become a typist. Hmm. A typist used to be a profession. Interesting. Your boss would tell you what they wanted you to type and you would type it. And that was seen as being a profession that like, was always gonna be needed because we're gonna need to communicate with each other in a written form. And so there will always be a need for typists until we all learn to type. right? And now we've all learned to create content, and therefore the value of creation is going down. No, I think that that's such an interesting point to bring up because you're right, you can spend a day on YouTube learning how to like edit video, learning how to like edit photography, learning how to do these things that wants to that used to be highly specialized skills. And of course, there's still amazing, you know, people who will do these things and have really, you know, worked at it years and they've perfected their craft. But as you mentioned, you brought it with with the, Can with the Canva example, it's been proven that people just kind of want things. People don't necessarily need it to be this professional level grade, like masterpiece. Like they're okay with something kind of quick and dirty and effective. So what does it mean to be a creator? Like if you think about like the creator in the sense that we all talk about it now as someone who, you know, is a TikToker, is a YouTuber, is, you know, has like, is an Instagram or whatever. What is that going to mean going forward? Yeah, I think that's the right question. I think that's the question is, what, is it, what does it mean to be a creator? If you can do something that every other person can do, which is to look at a camera and speak and offer their advice or be entertaining or whatever, and, and if, if everybody in a sense is a creator, majority of people are creators, then these early adopter creators that we celebrate today and people sort of idolize and want to become like them and think that, that that's unique and there's sort of a limited number of them and that's a path to financial success or you know long-term business, whatever. I think just basic understanding of dilution gives you the answer of what happens when there's a lot more of something that used to be super valuable. Everything gets diluted. And the identity of a creator, it's like somebody shows up now and says, listen, I know how to use a computer. And you're like, 
Okay, well, we all know how to use a computer. <laughs> Back in the day, you know, I started writing code in 1984 when I was 14 years old in high school. Uh, back then, you didn't want to tell anybody you used a computer because you were just a nerd then. You get beat up, yeah. <laughs> but there was a period of time where it was sort of cool that you knew how to use the internet and other people didn't. Well, now everybody knows how to use the internet. Hmm. And, and so, uh, or early Twitter users were called tweeps. Mm-hmm. And that was like an identity thing. We don't talk about tweets anymore because people use Twitter. Actually, not that many people use Twitter, but let's not get into that. Again, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, listen, this, I should have started this with like an embargo list of topics that we're just not, we don't have the time to get into. Indeed. So identity of a creator, I think, is going to get diluted dramatically. And people who are in it for the ego and who really love saying I'm different than you because I'm a creator, I think those people are gonna suffer a bit. Uh, For the rest of the people who produce content because they either want to do it or they're using it for business or any other purpose, those people will be perfectly fine. They were never about it being their identity. It was just a tool that they were using to be able to get their work done. And those people are gonna benefit because again, they have at this moment at least for some period of time, a bit of an unfair advantage that they've sort of practiced these skills more. One thing that I I wanted to touch on is that this influx of people coming into the creator economy, again, like seeing that with this idea of like, oh, I can do this, that has clearly made this gold rush of startups popping up saying like trying to cater to those creators coming in saying like, hey, we have these features, we have these tools. And of course, that leads to this wash of funding from VC firms saying like, okay, we're going to fund these startups. And we've seen that starting to dry up a little bit. And I remember when I interviewed you, when Koji made this more direct pivot towards the creator economy, because it started off as, you know, making like remixing web apps and stuff like that. Really cool, really cool idea. But then you made a concerted effort to really kind of hone in on, on uh, making like a, being like a Lincoln bio company and just sort of like having all these features for creators. And you said that a lot of companies are building their whole business around really basic features. Like you have like you know, stuff that you could just easily do in your link in bio. And I was like, that's so true that there's a lot of these companies that are springing up trying to provide a feature here, a feature there for creators. Where do we stand now when it comes to the companies that are trying to serve creators, knowing that in the future, a lot of these creators are going to just fall off? Uh Last year, all the figures I've seen, there was over $4 billion invested mm-hmm. in the creator economy. <laughs> That's a tremendous amount of money. Yes. <laughs> and, and just as when we spoke that time, when we went into the pivot, it's been clear that most of those sort of companies were, uh, didn't have sort of meaningful uh, uh, important technology, for example, or large integrated set of features. They were sort of point solutions for small pain points. By the way, some not so small pain points, but sort of finite pain points that creators had, which by the way, created a horrible situation for creators because they had to cobble together all of these different system solutions. Exactly. And then manage them. And, and you know, not only are they burned out producing content, now they're burned out managing these platforms. So it's, it's kind of been a big big mess in my opinion. Uh, now that we have this macroeconomic climate, funding is dried up, um, 
you know, my prediction there is that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of those companies will atrophy and either sort of go out of business or get aqua hired. They might be presented as acquisitions, but more than likely, you know, they'll be aqua hires. But again, I, the, the good news is that if the space is not this stepping stone creator economy thing we've been talking about, if the space is that all of us as humans are going to continue to get better and better and spend more and more time communicating with each other digitally, synchronously or asynchronously, well, it's an incredible set of opportunities for lots of companies to pivot into, use, you know, again, leverage their work that they've done over the years to have an unfair advantage to rise in that next phase, what's beyond the creator economy, and for investors that back those companies to have the opportunity either to, you know, support them or find new players that they think can do a better job of sort of riding that wave. I don't see a dystopia coming. I see a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, and, uh, and countless sort of new interesting problems to, to be solved when it comes to business and, and venture and all of that. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. You know, knowing that Koji is this solution that has all these features that make it, it makes it really accessible. Like people can have a cameo-like feature. There's like tip jars. There's a lot of different things that people can integrate into their bio or just, you know, integrate on social just to kind of have this sort of one-stop shop for all these features. Like what do you see as kind of like a blank space that needs to be addressed in terms of like what creators need? Where do you see room for innovation in this new landscape of the creator economy? I'll tell you. What we're working on, and obviously we're working on it because we see that there's opportunity there. One is sort of radical bespokeification. I'm not sure that's a word I'm trying to make up. It to is make, now. Make, <laughs> more, make more bespoke, bespokeification. Meaning, let's look at these sellers that realize that if you want to sell stuff, the place you should do it now is inside of social media. They're smart, they're right. Depending on what they're selling, Today, they have a choice of, in a sense, the same type of technology to use. They can, whatever, create a Shopify store and link to it. Or they can, you know, put some kind of a shopping cart that's a headless shopping cart in there and do it. And what if the storefronts themselves were nuanced specifically to better support conversion and usability? Hmm. And so going sort of, instead of more generic storefronts, radically more nuanced storefronts that are highly optimized for social media, highly optimized for engaging, communicating, converting, facilitating, you know, delivering, et cetera. So that's sort of one area where we are, one, seeing real analytics supporting that, and two, are focusing sort of some innovation efforts there. I think the other thing that's critical that we've always seen, and again, have lots of data to show that, is that creators thinking analytically is the big sort of multiplier. The ability to use, in a sense, A-B testing, to experiment with all kinds of things, with content, with 
who your audience is, who are you speaking to, at what level are you speaking to them, what offers are you offering to them. The ability to one, think like that and produce content to actually facilitate those experiments. And then on the side that we produce, which is to give you the analytics capabilities to be able to actually understand that, measure it you know, without having to have a, a BI degree. That's another sort of you know, big frontier. Uh, and then finally, at least for us, there are obviously creators who have more needs as they evolve and have more success than sort of the masses of creators that either are in the long tail or sort of in the, are not yet monetizing. And so they need better capabilities to understand their audiences and communicate with those audiences on a nuanced, in a nuanced way, analyze those communications and their conversion. So basically, maybe I'll tell it to you in another way. And many people may not even be old enough to, to remember these references, but this is how we got here. Only large businesses used to be able to have the power of computers to be able to, to use technology to have an unfair advantage. That used to be the domain of large companies. Small and medium-sized businesses did not have these capabilities. They had computers, but they had no software that was sort of meant to think of them as a small enterprise. And so we went from, you know, Oracle, BAE, SAP, et cetera. We went to, you know, Salesforce and Tom Siebel, Siebel Systems that created basically SaaS. And the target of SaaS has mostly, you know, been the innovations, been SMBs, small, medium-sized businesses. Now that we're getting into these folks that are sort of individuals that need to think like businesses and operate like businesses, in this case, creators, they need yet another generation of those tools. Meaning SMBs did not use Oracle. A new genre of tools was created for them with Salesforce. And yet again, we need to reinvent that. And the tools they need are business tools, meaning tools that facilitate sales, tools that facilitate fulfillment, tools that facilitate analytics and marketing and taxes and all those other things. And so don't be surprised if, if Koji uh, all of a sudden now looks no longer like a Lincoln Bio company. In fact, if you go to our website now, there's no mention of Lincoln Bio. We've sort of gone beyond that. Mm -hmm. Lots of companies provide Lincoln Bio. We support all of them. Um, and we provide the capabilities to make them radically much more powerful. Uh, but again, as we go into these creators that are even more sophisticated, we find ourselves, uh, in a sense, sort of building a sales force for the modern digital seller, communicator, hmm. solo entrepreneur being, where right. that seems to be the where we're all going. And how much of that infrastructure do you think should come from the platforms themselves? Because we're talking about, in a perfect world, I mean, well, not a perfect world because then Koji wouldn't exist, but one would assume that, you know, TikTok, and I know that there there are analytics that they provide, you know, creators with, but it, it the fact that there are companies like Koji that are supplementing those analytics being like, you know, here's how to really turbocharge your business. I guess, do you see that being an area where platforms are going to try and double down on, or are they just going to continue with businesses as usual? I think they're in the wrong position to be able to even attempt to provide those types of capabilities. Mm. Certainly the creators that have been doing it for a while know this, but now I think more and more, almost all creators are realizing 
that these individual networks are simply sort of, you have to be on as many of them as possible. Like again, if you just want to play the game, it's a numbers game. You need exposure. And so you should be on any platform that you can sort of repurpose your content for or produce custom content for, check. So everybody's a multi-platform creator. Everybody smart is a multi-platform creator. Sorry, I don't mean to like diss people that only want one platform. It depends <laughs> on what you're optimizing for. They could argue that they're smart for being on one and having sanity and so respect. I agree with that. Yeah. If you're optimizing for uh, reach and, and, and revenue and exposure, duh, you want to be in as many places as possible. You can't make your business on any one of those platforms. And you cer certainly can't make your business on individually on all of those platforms because none of that scales. And so you need some canonical place, some one place that says, this is the digital me that has the capabilities of producing content, delivering it, monetizing it, paying taxes, understanding consumers, CRM, blah, blah, blah. I need that kind of set of capabilities to just go with me anywhere and everywhere, on every platform that exists now or in the future, on the web, in physical world where I can just let you scan my QR code on my phone, and now you get access to all of my content and all of my commerce capabilities because we just met each other at a bar. Like, why shouldn't I have it there, right? Why should I have it send you? Or you want to buy my ebook? You got to go to Instagram. I sell that there. And on TikTok, I sell my recipes. So that doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And so I just think that these networks, because they are simply just sort of these dumb pipes in this manner, are just in no place to be able to facilitate these features. I mean, it kind of sounds like this is in summary of everything we're, we're talking about. Like, what do you see as Koji's role in the creator economy? Like, knowing that, as you mentioned, it sounds like you, you said kind of pivoting away from just being a link in bio to more of like the sales force in a way. So, like, what role do you want Koji to fill in the creator economy as you see it playing out? I want Koji, and I think we already have, uh, to move beyond the creator economy into, again, I don't know what to call it, this everyone is a creator economy. Everyone has the capabilities of engaging and transacting digitally. And focus on that. So we are actually already there, focusing on enabling humans to better communicate with each other, again, synchronously and asynchronously, in many new ways, meaning as, as soon as you create interaction, you allow people to interactively engage with each other. That creates countless new opportunities for novelty and utility and monetization, et cetera. And then obviously to monetize all of those interactions. And then again, all the way through the life cycle of just being a digital communicating person. Mm -hmm. That's my new word for the creator economy, the digital native, digital communicating person <laughs> that is able to make money online. I'm not a marketer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tech nerd. <laughs> a digital so, do you digitally communicate good? <laughs> yeah, I, I need help. <laughs> no, you're doing great. But the thing I'm pointing at, I believe that, you know, if, if listeners ponder, I'm curious. In fact, I'd love any kind of feedback. They can uh, reach me on social media. I'd love feedback if they think I'm crazy on this or if they see this thing that I'm pointing at, that uh, we are at an inflection point. That let, uh, focusing on the creator economy might not be the right thing to do. I don't think it is. Mm. I think focusing on the, this next bigger thing beyond the creator economy, that's where all the opportunity is. And, and while the creator economy is a bit of gloom and doom, it's 
you know, blue skies and sunshine over there. So, I mean, how would you call what you're describing? I, I would call it world stage being. Whoa. We all now have the capability to show up on the world stage, on sort of the digital world stage, and communicate and entertain people, educate people, inspire people, whatever, organize people, etc. sell to people. We all have that capability. Used to be privileged you had it. Then these people called creators, they had it. Now all of us have it. And as we all use it and live this life on this world stage as this modern being, the amazing opportunities exist for everyone, for people that are creating infrastructure to facilitate that, for people that are using that infrastructure to do the communication and education. And, and sort of think beyond these models that we have today, beyond the model of I need a Patreon and I need to be on OnlyFans and I need to, you know, sell some digital files. This is all good now for a moment, but we're already way, way beyond that. You know, everything's accelerating. Like Ray Kurzweil points out, everything, information technology accelerates exponentially. Mm -hmm. We're all witnessing that now. Business models that made sense last month no longer made, make sense because now you got much bigger opportunities ahead. Hmm. But I'm not a marketer. <laughs> we, we will, for now, we'll make world stage <laughs> being work. That's works for me. Okay, cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, thanks. Dude, this has been very enlightening. So giving everyone a lot to think about. Yeah, like this is, uh, and this is why I love talking to you because you always have a way of spinning something into a way that I haven't really thought about before. So yeah, no, I do appreciate your insights on this. I appreciate that, Casey. Thank you so much for this. I really do so appreciate it. Thank you. you. Thank you. Likewise. Happy New Year. That's going to do it for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, make sure you rate and comment as well because we love hearing from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Julia Shu. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Deputy editor David Litsky provided editorial oversight for this episode, as well as senior VP of entertainment Scott Nebus. 